And now, Crew Military presents The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Thank you, Kevin, for getting us on the air tonight, and thank you, folks, for joining with us for the Bible Live broadcast. We're going to pick up tonight at 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, we are getting deep into the time, uh, the reign of King Solomon of Israel. There was King Saul in 1050, 1,050 years before Christ, following, remember, the time of the judges. Samuel was the one who anointed Saul to be king. There were many warnings about a king, about a strong central statist government that in the minds of people that this would replace God. This was a great danger that they would stop depending upon God and start depending upon government, upon this powerful individual, the king. And yet they wanted to be like other nations. Remember, that was also a problem because Israel was never called to be like other nations. They were to set the pace. They were to be a God-centered society loving God and serving God. We're talking about a people who believed in God and trusted God and walked with God and let their relationship with God govern and guide them in their relationships with each other and with the world around them. That was what they were called to, and that's what we're called to today as well as God's people. Saul was chosen as king in 1050 B.C. David came in 1010, that's 40 years later. David at least had the vision of God's unique calling uh, for the people of Israel and for the whole world. And he was willing to walk by faith in that. Even though he did so imperfectly, his heart was right there. Solomon has that instinct at the beginning, but loses it through the years of his reign. He starts reigning in 970. That's where we are deep now into the reign of King Solomon. And we're going to see how his many wives and his many compromises with wealth and power and central government and spending, he destroys the economy and even takes the nation off of its foundations of loving and serving God. 
We'll get to that in just a little bit. Right now, though, let's go and finish up this beautiful Psalm 68 that we've been reading now for. This is our third time remembering God's glory and power. Psalm 68, 28 through 35. Summon your might, O God. Display your power, O God, as you have in the past. The kings of the earth are bringing tribute to your temple in Jerusalem. Rebuke these enemy nations, these wild animals lurking in the reeds, this herd of bulls among the weaker calves. Humble those who demand tribute from us. Scatter the nations that delight in war. Let Egypt come with gifts of precious metals. Let Ethiopia bow in submission to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Sing to the one who rides across the ancient heavens, his mighty voice thundering from the sky. Tell everyone about God's power. His majesty shines down on Israel. His strength is mighty in the heavens. God is awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. End of reading, Psalm 68, 28 through 35. This is The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Yeah, that's the spirit. That's the right attitude. That's what God is looking for. A broken, humble, contrite spirit willing to admit our need for God and willing to uh, admire, worship, desire to know Him as our God. He is the object of our affection. That is fundamentally the message of the entire Bible, the key to knowing God. It's not religiosity. It's not joining this church or that church. It's not spiritual or religious ritual. It's a heart attitude of humility and brokenness and desire toward the Lord. It's a heart attitude of being willing to trust Him and to humble ourselves to understand that we need God. Those are primary attitudes of God's people. That along with gratitude, thankfulness. And of course, we've seen all of that expressed uh, through Solomon in these early years. And we're going to continue tonight to watch the extent of Solomon's wealth, Solomon's splendor, Solomon's fame. But he compromises his faith, and we're going to see the cracks in the facade, the beginnings of the downfall of Solomon and of the nation as the nation divides after his death. Let's go now to our reading from the book of First Kings on the Bible Life. First Kings 10, 1 through 12, 33. First Kings 10. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's reputation, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, huge quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, they talked about everything she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was breathless. She was also amazed at the food on his tables the organization of his officials and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers and their robes, and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. 
I didn't believe it until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. Truly, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far greater than what I was told. How happy these people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. The Lord your God is great indeed. He delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loves Israel with an eternal love, He has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold and great quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. When Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, they also brought rich cargoes of almug wood and precious jewels. The king used the almug wood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and to construct harps and lyres for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of beautiful almug wood. King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, besides all the other customary gifts he had so generously given. Then she and all her attendants left and returned to their own land. Each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, each containing over 15 pounds of gold. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each containing nearly 4 pounds of gold. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a huge ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. On both sides of the seat were armrests, with the figure of a lion standing on each side of the throne. Solomon made twelve other lion figures, one standing on each end of each of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared with it. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships that sailed with Hiram's fleet. Once every three years the ships returned, loaded down with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king in all the earth. People from every nation came to visit him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who came to visit him brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed many of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stones, and valuable cedar wood was as common as the sycamore wood that grows in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. The king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, Egyptian chariots delivered to Jerusalem could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver, and horses could be bought for 150 pieces of silver. Many of these were then resold to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 11 Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry with those nations, 
because the women they married would lead them to worship their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship their gods instead of trusting only in the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Thus Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, he even built a shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshipping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my laws, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son, and even so I will let him be king of one tribe, for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Then the Lord raised up Hadad the Edomite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be an enemy against Solomon. Years before, David had gone to Edom with Joab, his army commander, to bury some Israelites who had died in battle. While there, the Israelite army had killed nearly every male in Edom. Joab and the army had stayed there for six months, killing them. But Hadad and a few of his father's royal officials had fled. Hadad was a very small child at the time. They escaped from Midian and went to Paran, where others joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to Pharaoh, who gave them a home, food, and some land. Pharaoh grew very fond of Hadad, and he gave him a wife, the sister of Queen Tapanes. She bore him a son, Ganuboth, who was brought up in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's own sons. When the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David and his commander Joab were both dead, he said to Pharaoh, Let me return to my own country. Why? Pharaoh asked him. What do you lack here? How have we disappointed you that you want to go home? Nothing is wrong, he replied, but even so, I must return home. God also raised up Rezon, son of Eliada, to be an enemy against Solomon. Rezon had fled from his master, King Hadadezer of Zobah, and had become the leader of a gang of rebels. After David conquered Hadadezer, Rezon and his men fled to Damascus, where he became king. Rezon was Israel's bitter enemy for the rest of Solomon's reign, and he made trouble just as Hadad did. Rezon hated Israel intensely and continued to reign in Aram. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials. He came from the city of Zeradah in Ephraim, and his mother was Zeruah, a widow. This is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the Milo and repairing the walls of the city of his father David. Jeroboam was a very capable young man, and when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ijah from Shiloh met him on the road, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in a field, and Ijah took the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. 
Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my laws and regulations as his father David did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and laws, I will let Solomon reign for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten of the tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that the descendants of David, my servant, will continue to reign in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. And I will place you on the throne of Israel, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my laws and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. But I will punish the descendants of David because of Solomon's sin, though not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. The rest of the events in Solomon's reign, including his wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When Solomon died, he was buried in the city of his father, David. Then his son Rehoboam became the next king. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of Solomon's death, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel sent for Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam went to discuss the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, If you are willing to serve the people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and who were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. If you think he was hard on you, just wait and see what I'll be like. Yes, my father was harsh on you, but I'll be even harsher. My father used whips on you, but I'll use scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had requested. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to them, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, My father was harsh on you, but I'll be even harsher. My father used whips on you, but I'll use scorpions. 
So the king paid no attention to the people's demands. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam son of Nebat through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had rejected their request, they shouted, Down with David and his dynasty! We have no share in Jesse's son. Let's go home, Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. But Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of the labor force, to restore order. But all Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. The northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David to this day. When the people of Israel learned of Jeroboam's return from Egypt, they called an assembly and made him king over all Israel. So only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the family of David. When Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, he mobilized the armies of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 select troops, to fight against the army of Israel and to restore the kingdom to himself. But God said to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah and Benjamin, This is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home, for what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of the Lord and went home as the Lord had commanded. Jeroboam then built up the city of Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and it became his capital. Later he went and built up the town of Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, Unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When they go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, It is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols at the southern and northern ends of Israel, in Bethel and in Dan. This became a great sin, for the people worshipped them, traveling even as far as Dan. Jeroboam built shrines at the pagan high places and ordained priests from the rank and file of the people, those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi. Jeroboam also instituted a religious festival in Bethel, held on a day in mid-autumn, similar to the annual Festival of Shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves he had made. And it was at Bethel that he appointed priests for the pagan shrines he had made. So on the appointed day in mid-autumn, a day that he himself had designated, Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. End of reading, 1 Kings 10, 1 through 12, 33. Breathe on me, breath of God. Bring my life close to your spirit. And breathe on me. Breathe on me, breath of God. All right. Wonderful passage tonight. Not wonderful in the sense of beautiful and everything's going well because the uh, plates are beginning to spin out of control. 
I noticed one thing in all of the listing of his greatness. Everything was all about Solomon, his wisdom, his riches, his intelligence, his palace, his buildings. I don't know if I'm imagining that in the passage or not, but everything seemed to be centered around him. Of course, he gathered the proverb. There's a lot that could be said good. Uh, the Song of Solomon that was early in his reign, his early wedding. But then 700 wives, 300 concubines, all of this comes toward the end of his reign. It seems very clear that Solomon moved away from his commitment to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He moved away from the God of Israel, led by his wives, influenced by these many wives and his international influences. He led into the worship of false gods and so on. It seems almost impossible, but so many things seem impossible when we look at the experiences of Israel in the Old Testament. But it's very human. When we scratch beneath the surface, we find out that there is that same spirit, the same potential is within each one of us. The same potential is within the people of God here in this country. In the 21st century, we still are perfectly capable of abandoning our worship of the true and living God and seeking after other gods and other idols. We can do the very same. Whether it's a personal application to our individual lives so that we'll remain faithful to God and walk with Him, and how easily we can be distracted through friendships, through wrong relationships, as Solomon was distracted away from following the true and living God by these women, these many, many women involved in his life. And women can be distracted from following the Lord by men. As they say, a bad company can spoil good morals. Our friendships and our relationships do matter in our lives, and they can draw us away from God. Now, Jeroboam makes a big mistake at the very beginning with the ten tribes in the north. He leads them into idolatry, putting these two gold calves up there so that the people wouldn't go down to Jerusalem to worship. Jeroboam was trying to distract the people away from worshiping the true and living God. seems like on every page we see this fact that God is sovereignly carrying out his purposes for humanity. God is carrying out his plan. He is drawing out a people for himself. This history that we're reading now about Saul and David and Solomon and the kings of Israel, this is all part of the, the bigger plan of redemption for humanity. And yet it has implications, specific implications, in the times in which they lived as well. God is doing his thing. He is drawing out his people. He is transforming their lives, blessing and enriching their lives, and using them in the redemptive process. And he'll do that in us as well if we would allow ourselves to be used and make ourselves available to God's purposes. See you next time, folks, here on The Bible Life. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed to help keep the Bible live on the airwaves of your city. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations and materials purchases at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, 
Join us each weekday at this time and on this station for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 